You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have Skip Howard, co founder and chief executive officer of Spacey. Early on in Spacey's company history, Skip was instrumental in the development and project management of the Spacey Virtual Touch technology, making it one of the leading technology companies in the spatial augmented reality sector. Spacey's technology can turn two or three dimensional surfaces into a touchscreen using only light. No phones, no tablets, no glasses, or any other wearables are necessary. After firmly establishing Spacey as an industry leader, Skip led the company's expansion of its second branch, Deming Robotics. The Deming Robotics system is the next generation smart shelf technology, providing a fully automated IoT inventory solution for the supply chain management business sector. Skip is listed as an inventor and co-inventor of several patents belonging to Spacey. Skip also founded and currently runs the second largest computer vision developers group in the United States. Before Spacey, Skip built the media department for Ross Perot's junior's company. Spacey is Skip's third startup. He was a founder of a successful student safety software company and co-founder of a hereditary cancer risk assessment software company. In 2019, Skip was a finalist for Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year. In 2019 and 2020, he was named one of the most powerful business leaders in DFW by D Magazine. Skip, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I mean, I don't even know if we're going to have enough time to dive into everything we can talk about. You've accomplished so much. But today, we'll try to stay focused as much as possible on Spacey. So can you kick off today's conversation with telling our audience a little bit more about a company? Yeah, absolutely. You did a pretty good job on the introduction. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Spacey, if you let's kind of boil it down into what we do very specifically, we are a um, computer vision company, and computer vision, which is a niche focus of artificial intelligence. So we really are an AI company with a focus on computer vision, and we use computer vision to solve a lot of problems inside of retail and supply chain. So very specifically, we do, we can make two-dimensional to three-dimensional objects interactive. We can make products smart without adding any RFID technology or barcode scanning to them. And we have a miniature invisible robot that helps um, scan inventories inside of retailers from grocery stores to back of the office to uh, warehouses. Excellent. So I think you touched upon it just now by mentioning grocery stores. But tell us, what, what are the primary industries that you serve? Sure. So it's really difficult on, on the first half of our business because, again, we have, we have what we call Spacey Sense, which is um, all the virtual touch and experiential marketing side. And then we have the dimming robotics, which is our supply chain side. And for our uh, virtual touch side, the Spacey Sense side, it's it's just a whole slew of retailers, but also other consulting companies. Like for example, for Ernst and Young, we built a uh, a story on how they're solving security issues. But primarily on the Spacey Sense side, it's retailers, whether it's big box retail, uh, niche retail, um, and or uh, grocery stores. So um, 
we handle all of that there. And on the Deming Robotics side, since it's supply chain focused, we handle mainly grocery stores uh, and where uh, and, and retail stores where there's shelving in place. Like, you know, clothing is not a good application for what we do. And then we, um, we handle inventories in the back of these retail stores. And then warehouse, right? Warehouse is everywhere. So it can be any any warehouse uh, kind of chain. But the goal is to really own, own the supply chain from cradle to grave, end to end, as soon as it comes into a distribution center until it leaves at the edge, the customer's hands. Yeah, well, that's definitely uh, top of mind for everybody these days, especially as we've really gone into such a omnichannel world and so much online shopping and, and really having to meet customers wherever they're at. Um, across all industries. So I could see being, it's a really exciting time for you guys um, and seeing what's possible of how you can help retailers better serve their customers. So tell us about your products. You have touch glass holographic, you have shelfy interactive packaging, and then you have reactive Reactive V products. Is that correct? Yeah. So let me, uh, we might want to say that again because we renamed them. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. So we just have Spacey Touch, Spacey Edge, Spacey React, and Spacey uh, Hover. And Hover is probably the most important one for COVID right now. So tell us how Hover Um, works. Sure. So uh, before COVID came along, uh, we were competing with touchscreens. So we're trying to make larger-than-life touch experiences uh, that that are basically unbreakable versus a touchscreen where, you know, they're made with capacitive film and you can break them. With our touch, it would just touch air. Hover solves a problem um, that COVID posed because COVID comes, nobody wants to touch anything anymore. Mm-hmm. We want contactless shopping. We want health and safety forefront. And uh, and so because you know we own our own framework, we were able to change a single variable. And now we have a new product called Spacey Hover where you can put your hand up to the foot to two feet away from a product or a digital projection and... You hover, you don't touch anything but the air. You're only touching air. And that becomes gives you an interactive uh, digital response. So, very, for example, if there's an end cap, right, and there's, let's just say there's three phones laying out on this end cap, and you don't want to pick up a phone for a reason because maybe a lot of other shoppers picked it up and played with this phone, but you still want to learn about it, you just hover your hand six inches to a foot above the phone, and a television will react or a projection will react to what you just hovered your hand over. So it's a it's a way for for customers to really do contactless shopping, true contactless shopping in a retail environment without um, without having to worry about health and safety. And for the retailers, by the way, who have a lot of equipment, whether it's digital signage or touch screens, this is a way to retrofit that technology to still make it usable in the age of COVID without adding a gigantic expense or throwing everything away and rebuying equipment. Mm-hmm. So how do you see touch evolving post-COVID? Is this just the first steps? Um, is kinetic technology the future? So, yeah, I, I believe so, right? That's what we based our um, company on early on. The, the how do I say this? The hover technology is going to serve a purpose for a period of time, right? Um, when people after three to five years or whatever that period is, maybe sooner, I hope, um, people will go back to more of a a normalized uh, way to interact with products, picking things up, feeling, touching, and and, and hopefully, you know, a deadly virus isn't part of 
part of the equation anymore. So Hover is great, but because it's the same framework that serves all their technology, right? I really see people going back to virtual touch. And and really, it's, it's a bigger thing than just touch screen, right? We call it natural user interface. Being able to have the world react to you and inject intelligence into the world, um, not through tiny little screens, but really everything, um, I think is going to be the future. I just don't know how far away, and I hope we're not too far ahead of the trend. Yeah, I mean, there's a balance to that, right? Um, the formula for successful technology implementation is your complementing existing behaviors, right? Not trying to change them. That's exactly right. So uh, right idea, right time, right place always still matters. Um, so tell us a little bit about the opportunity at the shelf. Yeah, uh, that's a great idea. Um, so we have, there's not really any fantastic marketing at the edge. And the edge is what we're defining as, you know, where the customer um, inter interacts with the actual product and where they take a product off the shelf, right? The, the, the main marketing that's kind of one is um, maybe maybe some sort of small LCD screen for marketing, but primarily coupons, right? And you're really hoping all that advertising you pay for uh, as a CPG or as a retailer is going to work, right? And you only have a way, the only way to measure that right now is when somebody walks away with it uh, and pays for it, right? The, the best example so far um, in all of retail, in my opinion, is the Lego shelf, where there's a little tiny, tiny box to play with. And there's an actual correlation of sales lift on that Lego shelf when you have a box uh, that the kids can, can interact with. And so we took that concept and we said, why not make a truly unbreakable digital version of that, where basically you're simulating a package so people can interact with like a package and learn more, whether it's you know, Procter & Gamble's Oral-B um, toothbrushes or toys on the shelf where you can watch them come to life and play. And uh, in the pat this, this little box that lives at the edge of the shelf has a projector and acrylic in it. And we do it that way because um, we want it to be unbreakable using our technology. So if, if for some reason the screen does break, it's, $10 in plastic you replace, not a not a giant iPad or an Android tablet. Um, the other big benefit is it's reusable. So if I'm like done marketing here at the shelf, I can move it wherever I want, right? And, and you just update content. So it is a true way, it's, it's as if you had an iPad that's much larger than an iPad on a shelf that's affordable but can't be broken. Think like that. That's what you're kind of doing. But, but with some, some simulated packaging around it in UX. That kind of brings me to one other point. Um, I might be jumping the gun a little bit. That's all right. But, uh, yeah, with any technology anybody ever chooses to implement, you can have the coolest tech in the world, but if you don't get your UX right, mm. you, you might as well fail, right? You're just going to fail. And so when we say interactive packaging, you really have to go through a strategic design process to figure out, what quickly can I communicate easily and effectively that's fun and interactive but also has value? You have to hit check all these boxes, right, um, for your tech to work. And because we're so flexible on the tech side, we really, we really took a UX approach, UX first approach, digital first approach to our technology. So that's another real reason um, we see massive sales lift at the edge with our technology. 
So tell me, how do you work with your clients? Like what is the um, onboarding process and how are you helping them ensure that it's a great experience? Do you work with them closely on content creation? Yeah, that's a good, good question. So again, all of this we've been talking about is really on the um, Stacy Sense side of our business. So the way that works is we will obviously engage a client, do a, a proof of concept and go into pilot, and then um, they will order scale. And that's like the business side. When it comes to working with creative content, we do have in-house creatives, but we are not an agency, right? So we, we will basically design with our partner clients to uh, design the entire experience out, deploy it, test it, iterate, even do A-B testing if we need to, find that right message and the right way to communicate it. And then after pilot, we say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, here are all the files that we developed and this is all the methodology we used. You guys are free to make whatever you want internally and deploy it, or you can hire an agency or use the agency of record you already have hired, right, to deploy content. But you are not dependent upon Spacey to update content, make changes, and all of that. We we are a technology company with a license, a software license that is paid for. That's how we make money. We do not make money on content design. We kind of give away the, the, the UX principles and the, and the um, content, if you would, the, the way that's made, we give that knowledge away. Gotcha. So tell me how, um, one thing I find really exciting about the technology that, that you're offering is the opportunity to track uh, in-store attribution um, and also optimization uh, opportunities. So what are, what are some of the aspects of in-store interactions that you help your clients track? And then do you work with them to help them illuminate opportunities to continue to elevate the in-store experience? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. I love it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot, right? So start with uh, how, do we, how do we work with our clients to um, kind of track KPIs and all that. If you can think back, uh, Google Analytics, of course, was like, you know, one of the most amazing advances in data science from, um, geez, that 20 years ago now, right? Um, but what they've shown us were just some basic principles, no matter what analytics package you go with, the basics are always the same now. And and you can always go more advanced than that. We'll even talk about how we, we take it from there. But some of the basics, and again, this was made for websites, right? When you're navigating a website, you want to see the path of action. You want to see the, um, the trigger points or what they call uh, your call to actions when those are triggered, which is counted as a conversion at that point. And so inside of a store, you can still apply those principles, and we do with our technology. We can watch paths of actions people take through a digital experience. We can watch, um, we, can, we can count uh, trigger, triggers uh, for conversions and even track things like, so, you know, before our technology, if you wanted to see if uh, a lot of people were around that shelf, you'd have to heat map it, Right. But now it doesn't matter if people are standing there on a phone or if they're playing with the technology. We can actually tell granularly that they're playing with the technology or they're, for example, in that, in that last example, where there where there's cell phones on an in-cap, how many times they actually hovered their hand over a cell phone versus how many purchases they made. So now we can track things like browsing versus buying granularly, not just where, where were they in the store when they were shopping, right? Um, so that is one example of some of the basics. 
and then more advanced uh, technology, uh, more advanced, um, uh, sorry, analytics, we have data scientists that help identify trends, and we do multivariate testing to very quickly determine if, um, if content needs to be changed and what content works the best, and regionally, does it matter? Does it matter when it's raining versus sunny? I mean, all of these fun things and these elements go into data science to help identify trends, and we just deliver that to our clients as well. I think most retailers are getting incredibly sophisticated these days, and they're waking up to that, um, you know, they need, they need data science, and if you're not an AI, you're going to be left in the dust. So we're seeing a lot of internal teams um, that we get to collaborate with these days, um, and, and there's some really smart folks out there. Well, one of the things that uh, I've talked about frequently in 2020 is how AI models kind of had to be rewritten this year, right? Because so much of it is also built on historical patterns and learnings and customer behavior has evolved so rapidly this year. Um, so how do you, how do you approach that? How are you, how are you making sure that, you know, your recommendations are as accurate as possible through AI? So um, I don't want to give away all of our secret sauce, but I'll tell you a principle <laughs> Principle is the more real time, the better, mm -hmm. right? So hi hi historical data is fantastic when you're doing data mining and you're trying to put strategies together on where to go. But if you're trying to be like in the moment, what content to serve, it's you, there's tons of real time data you can feed into the models to to uh, and the models can feed themselves, right? To to self um, improve. So again, without getting into all the details. We use a lot of real-time um, inputs to make changes in near real-time, if that makes sense. That does. That does. Um, I know that you can't fully unveil information of all, of, uh, you know, in depth of some of your case studies, but um, for this year, um, you know, are there any kind of great outcomes that you could share, any challenges you were faced with, and uh, examples of how your technology uh, helped achieve success? Sure. So um, I'll, tell, I'll start with the challenges like everybody has, every single company has right now, and that's uh, COVID. For us, we are an international company. We're, we're headquarters in Dallas, Texas. We have offices in the UK, in Australia, and soon to have uh, an office in the Middle East. And we're, we're continuing to grow. It's like crazy how there's borders locked down. Um, and you can't go to, and I mean, I'm, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just stating like, it's very difficult to go to some countries and not difficult at all to go to others. Mm -hmm. It was easier for us to fly to Dubai than go to Canada, right? Interesting. Um, yeah. And their neighbors. So having these borders locked down is definitely a challenge because it slows down our entire process. There's not even customers there to receive product. You know, they, there's nowhere to ship it. So there's nobody there. That, so those are some challenges. But some successes have been that we are scaling worldwide that, for example, if, you know, I wouldn't wish COVID on, on anybody, but uh, if there was a silver lining for us, it's that uh, grocery stores in general are, are kind of um, more cash positive than they've ever been before. Um, and there, there's real problems in fulfilling online orders. And so our robotics side of the business, the dimming robotics side, has really taken off uh, worldwide because there are now multi-billion dollar problems per retailer in just knowing what's on your shelf and fulfilling online orders. And so typically they 
or I should say strategically, these retailers have a five-year spending plan on IT, and all of it gets compressed into one year to try to solve these massive problems that cost a lot of money right now. And so because we happen to be solving those right time, right place, um, we are we are getting a lot of contracts around the world to to solve those problems, which is very exciting for us uh, as a company, even though it's difficult, you know, it's country country dependent on on where we're allowed to solve those because we need people in the stores like to go go install. Um, so that's one. And on the sense side, you should see a major telecom in January come out with a press release that they're the first contact contactless shopping experience in the world. How exciting. Well, this will yeah. be airing in January, so we'll have to we'll have to loop in that press release. Yeah. Um well speaking of opportunity I'm sorry. I hope it's not too late. Oh no. Um well speaking of opportunities, I mean we talked a little bit about uh discovery, right? With with um on the sense side and and the opportunity of, of virtual touch. Um one other thing as we think about flexible fulfillment and and self-checkout, what do you think the future of self-checkout is in your mind? Oh, man. Uh, that is a place you will see us playing not too far away. And that's the next big gold rush. Um, I think that everybody is either exploring it secretly or publicly. <laughs> Every company, right? Uh, removing friction is critical. And you can thank Amazon for showing the world why all of this is important, right? They outspend every company like 20 to 1, 50 to 1, something like that on R&D. And um, there's there's a giant move to that because now everybody sees it's possible. And not only is it possible, but uh, there's sales left, there's cost savings eventually as technology costs come down, and it will be everywhere. I mean, basically entire stores will become giant vending machines. You just walk in, grab what you want, and walk out. And... You know, some people will argue, well, what does that mean for the human element? Um, I think AI really complements people when it can do tasks, small tasks, like niche tasks better than people. Um, I don't think it's going to replace every job on the planet. I'm not one of these guys that thinks, you know, AI is going to kill every job that exists. Because for, for in our entire history, right, um, technology has only... Um, created more jobs, right? And even AI, where it's probably going to kill a few, there's going to it's going to just explode and grow even more. But um, I'm a I'm a big fan of frictionless technology and, and this uh, responsive retail um, technology. Obviously, with our company being in computer vision, we're, we're definitely a part of that. And we have a lot of retail clients that are asking us to grow in that area. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you think? You know, the one thing too is, uh, I think with um, self checkout or digital checkout, um, I mean, of course, we have to respect privacy and stuff. But it's another opportunity to just get into your customers' phones um, and their email and their text messaging. And so, what are you seeing? Some of the opportunities that can happen when that receipt get, gets uh, distributed. Well, um, that might be above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> There's this is data science that. Will be at its best, right? They're, they're already in your phone, right? And it's just going to give them even more um, visibility into behaviors. I don't think people should be worried about it because it's not really about um, 
you know, trying to manipulate people. It's just trying to serve people. And as long as that exists, it's, it's going to be a win-win. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's a loaded question that can go a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm going to okay. let the experts. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, we have a lot of discussions around just, you know, um, if you if you know your customer and you get them at a point of checkout and you see what they bought, it's just an opportunity to know what they might want to know next or uh, complimentary products and th- uh, future deals, things like that. Well, how do you tell me um, overall, right? Because you're, I mean, I think you're sitting in a, such an interesting space and um, at the cutting edge of, of so much innovation when it comes to retail tech. Where where do you see the future of the intersection of in-store and human connection in retail? So I think you're approaching a convergence of true, what we call true omni-channel. I don't know what you're going to really call it. Somebody's going to coin a term that will stick. But um, I, I think that you're going to have, you know, digital, in-store, all of this merge into one. People are going to be important. They're, you know, you're going you're gonna to find probably more expertise inside of stores, like a lot more expertise from humans. Um, they, you know, people still want to smile. They want, you know, every, how do I explain this? You know, there's an element of shoppers that go in there and they're going to still try to hack the systems that will always exist, right? I think, I think eventually security will catch up to it. Until then, you're still going to need some human eyes on things. Um but ultimately, it depends on the retailer. Like, if I'm in a grocery store, I don't need somebody to tell me about lettuce. But if I'm in a car dealership, I do want to talk to somebody about a very big purchase I have, right? And I'm not just going to leave it up to a robot or just my research only, right? Um, I need somebody to sit with me and test drive and talk about their experience with it and all of that. So it's, it's going to be very industry dependent, but I think when it comes to the level of human interactivity. But I do believe, and we've seen this in our data, um, this new generation, the Centennials or Gen Z or whatever you want to call them, they are a very digital first generation, and they want to start with the digital experience before they move to human. But that doesn't, they do want human. They just want to control that um, when, they're, when they're injected into the process. Right? So that's another interesting element, I should say. Yeah, I think, you know, there's so much conversation around. Uh, so on the retailer brand side, what is the what is the relationship between computer and human? And then, of course, on the, on the consumer side, that human connection, as they're interacting more and more through digital um, with brands. Um, and yes, it's technology is a tool, um, a powerful one, um, but it needs the the human side to um, just like you're doing, right? You're programming it. You're you're creating the the what ifs. You are helping analyze and digest and create action steps and and bringing it all together. So I guess my final question to, uh, today and for you on that is, you know, how do you maybe see your counterparts evolving, right? Like, does that change? the skill sets that are needed um, on the retailer brand level to be able to really optimize, you know, the, the information that you, your technology is helping um, illuminate. I really hope so. Um, I really hope they change because we have a lot of fantastic clients, but we service really the global fortune 1000, right? It's not, 
um, it's not smaller brands. And and that's going to be always a challenging for smaller brands to kind of see the future and, and try to get ahead of the curve. Uh, but I tell you, like, I worry so much that, you know, the innovator's dilemma is a, is a real thing. And I really hope I don't see all of these retailers go out of business because they refuse to change or kill the cash cows, right? And you're going to get competition coming in. Like, that's the innovator dilemmas model. I, I think people are waking up to that this, ha- this is happening. Honestly, 20 years ago, there was no reason for Amazon to exist if the retailers just decided to innovate, right? And for some reason, they, they paused. And... Now this is what's happening. So I think they're learning these lessons, and we're seeing a lot of right moves by these big retailers. It's the small ones I worry about, right? Getting ahead of the curve, um, and, and that's going to be a whole lot, whole lot tougher for them. I do think there's going to be new brands coming out that will do this the right way. I mean, the market always rewards innovation when it meets demand, right? When, when, it, when it crosses the demand. So, um, but... Retail is also a copycat nature. You're going to see a lot of what works being distributed very fast around other other brands as well. No, absolutely. For sure. Um, I think that uh, smaller brands have the advantage of agility. Right, they 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 don't have to deal with legacy systems and 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 levels of approvals, but they might not have the in-house infrastructure needed. So it's definitely catch 22 there. Um, but what I think what you guys are creating is really exciting. I think that, um, if anything, 2020 accelerated the need for the type of technologies that you're creating, um, both when it comes to, to sense and robotics and, um, and, and at the edge. Um, and, and I'm, I'm a strong believer, you know, especially as we think to physical retail, the more opportunities we have to use uh, retail spaces to learn and, to track attribution and understand the importance of those touch points, um, the better the experiences are going to become for the consumer. Completely agree. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Skip. Where where are you dialing in from? We're, I'm in Dallas, Texas right now, in the office, believe it or not. So. Okay. So I asked everybody this, um, although it will air in 2021, when when I can really travel again, wh- what are the two or three must-do things in Dallas for me? Oh, my gosh. But Texas barbecue, Dallas has some of the best. Tex-Mex, I mean, I'm... I'm you know, obviously that's food. Right? <laughs> that counts. Um, I'll always yeah, go for good then, barbecue. Yeah, and if you're into, uh, you know, the country music scene, they've got that here too. That's not really my cup of tea, but it's uh, everybody loves that. So there's there's tons to do in Dallas. Yeah, well, I look forward to, to getting on more plane rides uh, at some point in 2021 and, and really being out there uh out there again. Thanks so much again for being with us, everyone. This was Skip Howard, co-founder and CEO of Spacey Inc. Really excited to see what you guys are going to be unveiling in the future. Um, and, And thanks for being a guest with us today. Thank you so much for having me again. You guys have a great one.